I didn't know what to say. I stood there trying to comprehend the gravity of the situation. I was a chaplain at Harborview Medical Center in Seattle, Washington, and I was standing in a hospital room with a man who had just lost his wife. She died from an infection after giving birth. The baby survived, but she did not. And I stood with him silently as she passed. I didn't know what to say. I did not have words until he asked me to pray for him. It's all he wanted in that moment. And so I started to pray and the words slowly started to come. And together we gave his wife back to God. I prayed for the health of his baby and I prayed for him that God would meet him in his grief. And he didn't start crying until we prayed. Working at a hospital like Harborview, I was absolutely shocked how many people, whether religious or not, wanted someone to pray for them. They craved for prayer. We pray when babies are born. We pray with and for the dying. We pray at funerals, weddings, holidays, baptisms, at church, before meals. Over half of Americans say they pray at least once a day. People are generally interested in prayer. People believe in prayer. There are thousands of books on prayer. Over 50,000 hits on Amazon alone if you type in books on prayer. So when the disciple asks Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray, this is a question that we still ask today. But Jesus is less concerned with showing them how to pray and more concerned with teaching them why they should pray and to whom they pray to. Because if you understand why you pray and who you are praying to, then the how will take care of itself. When Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer, he first begins by identifying to the one we pray. He says, whenever you pray, say this, Father, hallowed be your name. He begins with Father. Father is an image of God meant to communicate something about his nature. Now, of course, God is not male or female, but calling God Father invites us into a special kind of relationship with God, one where we have access and intimacy. Of course, we have to separate any earthly depictions of fathers, and we have plenty of bad fathers around. 
But we have to separate that from any depiction of God that distorts God as good and holy and loving. Biblically speaking, to call God Father evokes images of God as a lover, as a protector, as a provider, as a rescuer. Of course, not to say that mothers aren't all of those things and then some. I married to a mother. I know she's a lot better than me. That's not funny. But Jesus is essentially saying that in our text this morning, if you folks who are evil, okay, if you folks who are evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, for example, you're not going to give them a scorpion or a snake if they ask for something to eat, then how much more can we trust God as our heavenly father who is not sinful, who is not finite, who is not fallen? God is certainly not evil. God is good. And God is a father. And not just a father, and not just the father of Jesus, but Jesus says, when you pray, say, our father. When you talk to God, you speak with the boldness and proximity of God's own children. A friend of mine grew up as a PK, a pastor's kid. Both her parents were in the ministry, and anytime I meet someone whose parents are pastors or parents are in the ministry, I'm always interested to learn about their experience because we've all heard stories about rebellious PKs. There's another one over there. But I want to learn everything I can because I want my kids to have a positive experience as a PK. My friend told me that what she really appreciated about her parents is that she always had access to them. She knew she was a priority. If they were in the middle of a committee meeting and she needed them, she knew that if she called, they would answer. She knew that if they were in their office, she could walk right into their office and not check in with the secretary because she had a special relationship with them. As a child, you always have special access to a loving parent. When Jesus tells us to call God Father, he invites us to claim our birthright as God's own children, a birthright that was bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. As Hebrews 4.16 says, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness. Speak to God like you're in his family because according to Jesus and according to the scriptures, you are in God's family. Lately, my oldest daughter, Nora, who's three, has been getting up in the middle of the night and coming into our bedroom, which can be very creepy at times. She's got that very pale, ghostly skin, and she'll stand at the edge of our bed with her sheet draped over her head, (laughs) silently whispering, What might be incantations, I don't know. (laughs) But when you wake up in the middle of the night and you see a ghostly girl standing over you as you sleep, it's going to startle you. 
because she doesn't knock. She doesn't announce herself. She walks in to this room like she owns the place, which means, Sarah, we have to start locking our door (laughs) at night. So friends, pray like you're one of the kids who can talk to mom or dad whenever you want, wherever you want, because that's your parent. And pray with persistence. And kids know how to be persistent. (laughs) To illustrate this point, Jesus tells a parable about an annoying neighbor. Imagine you have an unexpected guest show up in the middle of the night and you have absolutely nothing to feed them. This would have been a huge deal. The laws of hospitality in the ancient Middle East were strict. There are not many hotels, no 24-hour restaurants, and if a traveler needed food or a place to stay, you were under obligation to provide We cannot comprehend the level of shame that a host would feel if they didn't provide a meal for his guest. In fact, in the ancient rules of hospitality, the entire village was responsible for caring for a traveling guest. So even the guy asleep in bed is still obligated to help. As Jesus tells the parable, everyone hearing it at that day and time, of course, would say, this guy's got to get up and help out his friend in the street because that is what we all are supposed to do. But Jesus takes it a step further. He wants us to imagine that the guy in bed isn't a very good friend and he doesn't care about the laws of hospitality. And he yells from inside, don't bother me. The door's already been locked and my kids are in bed with me. You have to remember, houses in this day, probably one room and the entire family would sleep on a mat together. And he says, I cannot get up and give you anything. His response to his friend outside would have been absolutely shocking to the original audience. But that's the point Jesus is trying to make. Be persistent. Even if the guy inside won't get up because they're friends, at the very least, he's going to get up because the guy in the street is persistent. He's loud enough, shameless enough, annoying enough, then the friend inside is going to get up because this guy's going to wake the neighbors and everyone's going to be mad at me. So you're going to get up and you're going to give him whatever he wants. If you've been a parent woken up in the middle of the night, at some point you're just like, you can have whatever you want, child. Just go back to sleep. That's what this guy is going to do. The word Jesus uses to describe a friend asking for bread in this story is persistence. The word also means, get this, a lack of sensitivity to what is proper, not caring about what others think, shamelessness, impudence, ignoring of conviction. This is how Jesus wants you to pray, with shameless persistence. God isn't like the friend who's already in bed. We know that. 
The point of the parable isn't about the character of God. The point of the parable is about how we are to seek God persistently, shamelessly, keep coming, keep praying, throw out convention, throw out concern for what others think, and pray with the confidence like a child speaking to a parent who is loving and patient. Jesus tells a similar parable in Luke 18 about a widow and an unjust judge. He says, in a certain city, there was a judge And this judge neither feared God and had respect for nobody. So immediately you know the judge judge isn't just like God. But in that city, there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while the judge refused. But later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for anyone, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice so that she may not wear me out. Obviously, this judge is not like God, a God who does not grow tired, a God who does not faint, a God who does not grow weary. But Jesus is telling these two parables, giving two earthly examples that we can all relate to, pestering an indifferent friend or passionately pleading with an unjust judge. This is how you pray with that level of persistence. There are all sorts of ways in which God is not like the sleepy friend, in which God is not like the unjust judge. In these two parables, Jesus is focusing on one point of comparison. How should we pray? How should we pray? With holy boldness, with a sharp knocking on the door, an insistent asking, a search that refuses to give up. That's how you pray. Not just the routine of going through the motions or the formal prayers that we might hear at church, but pray like your life depends on it. So why do we pray? Why does God insist that we pray with such persistence and passion and boldness? Because he's our father. And he knows what's good for us. Because he's our father and he wants to meet with us. Because he is our father and we need to meet with him. Jesus says in verse 15, if you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, then how much more so will your heavenly father give you the Holy Spirit? Friends, the Holy Spirit is the very presence of God. God understands what we need most. We might ask for or search for other things in life, but God knows that above all other things, we need him the most. 
the real and active and saving and loving presence of God in our lives, the Holy Spirit. In John 14, Jesus calls the Spirit paraclete, which is a Greek word that means counselor, helper, strengthener, supporter, advisor, advocate, and ally. You could all use that. Throughout the Bible, the Spirit teaches, the Spirit brings wisdom, the Spirit unites us to Christ, the Spirit fosters fellowship and brings us together, the Spirit transforms our lives, the Spirit gives gifts, the Spirit helps us to pray when we don't have the words. The Spirit prompts us to love and to mission and to action. But most of all, God's Spirit is the source of life. God's Spirit brings resurrection. When we seek God, God meets us and fills us with life and hope and direction and joy and love. The gift of God that we find in prayer is Life with God, a relationship. If we really want to understand why we should pray, how we should pray, it first begins by understanding the parental love of God. A God who wants more of you. A heavenly father who says, come and see me all the time, day or night, you come right in and you boldly talk to me. Because the more time we spend with God, the more he changes us to reflect his loving image in this world. That's why we pray. And friends, the sooner we understand that prayer is not about what we can get out of God. But prayer is about what God can get out of us through the Spirit. The sooner we understand that, the sooner we'll understand what life is all about. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the good news that you want a relationship with us that you want to speak to us, that you want us to come and seek you out, that you want us to come and find you. We thank you that Jesus died on a cross to make way for this life that we have with you. And so God, I pray that as we've looked at your scriptures this morning discussing prayer, that you would convict us by your Holy Spirit that you would show us where and how in our lives what exactly needs to change in order to incorporate prayer into our life, not just every day, but throughout the day. If that means incorporating new rhythms, new habits, new ways of being, we ask God that you would show the way and give us the strength to follow through. And this morning, Lord, as we give our tithes and our offerings, we pray that you would take these gifts and use them for your glory and for your kingdom. Amen.